Hello, listeners. Are you as tired and upset as we are at seeing one more mass shooting in the United States? Do you sit here from the Australian perspective or somewhere else with more restrictive gun laws and go, why can't the Americans just sort out their shit? Today, we're going to try and work out why they can't sort out their shit. I'm here this morning with David Olney. How are you, David? Very well, thank you, Tim. It's good to hear you're sounding a lot more bright than perhaps I was thinking after that intro. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just figured people want to say it, but no one does. Mm. Do you kind of feel helpless and frustrated and just exasperated and sad simultaneously? Yeah. Like, why do they let this keep happening? Mm. And I think the reason I wanted to do a little podcast is I just started looking around on YouTube, people talking about the shootings. And the most interesting little videos I found were from US gun reviewers. Interesting. And several of them took a similar line, and that is we have our guns for sport, but we also have our guns for defense. And several of them were making the argument, and now we need to step up and use our guns to defend our families and communities. So if there's an active shooter and you've got your carry permit and you've got your carry weapon, you need to step up. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's fascinating. Because you know the whole argument behind the Second Amendment is self-defense. Yeah. You have the right to bear arms for self-defense against an illegitimate state. And yet, you know, it seems like now we're 20 years into mass shootings in America. If we use Columbine as the start of the modern era, what's that, late 90s? It must be 20 years, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're 20 years in, and when I sat and thought about since Columbine, I can't think of a single example since Columbine where a bystander has pulled out the semi-automatic 9mm with the laser, put the red dot on the active shooter's forehead and pulled the trigger. Mm. So if having weapons was all it took to fight back and defend yourself, your family and your community, it already would have happened. So the interesting thing here, that maybe it's being discussed quietly but it doesn't seem to be openly in America, is that having weapons doesn't mean people effectively fight back against violent crime. Mm. It's the exact opposite. And I'll dive in here into Colonel Dave Grossman's work, his most famous book, On Killing, where Grossman points out that even Napoleon worked out that his best infantry who on the range could get above 90% accuracy. The best they could do was 20% accuracy in combat. And that Napoleon supposedly quietly realized this is the reason why you use light artillery. Because light artillery, you don't see an individual person, you don't target an individual person. You shoot at a block of colour of uniforms. Mm. You get accuracy. There's plenty of evidence from Gettysburg of thousands of rifles on the battlefield during the American Civil War after that had been loaded four or five times in muzzle loaders where if someone had pulled the trigger, the weapon would have exploded and taken their heads off. But it was guys going through the motions of fighting that throughout the Civil War there are stories of platoons that have one person who could take accurate shot after accurate shot against other human beings and that a whole platoon would just defend that person and hand them loaded weapons Mm. because that's how the platoon would be most effective. So Grossman sort of sums up that after World War II, big study was done, you know, the effective shoot rate 
was terrible. It was under 20%. Mm. Less than 20% of combatants in the Allied armies in World War II took accurate shots with a small arm at another human being. So then they upped operant conditioning. And by Korea, it was at 50%. By the Vietnam War, the American military was over 90%. By Iraq, Afghanistan, some of the anecdotal data is they're well above 95%. And that's one of the arguments now for why PTSD is so bad. Mm. That so many people took the shot because of the operant conditioning. They can and then have the realisation they've done it. Um, now that's something people are still discussing and researching. So the point is here that just having weapons doesn't make you fight back. And yet for people who have an axe to grind, a grudge, feel diminished, alienated, you know, the Americans are making the arguments, all these people are mentally unstable. You know, mm. The Norwegians tried that with Anders Brevik. Anders Brevik was a highly committed guy with a very dark manifesto. Let's not call him insane. That diminishes his danger. In the same way, let's not call most of these perpetrators in America insane. Insane people need help. People who've decided that killing us will make them feel better aren't insane. They're evil. Mm. That's a different thing. Let's not make it the basis for poor that person. What did life do to you? Let's make it the basis for, well, if having guns doesn't help us stop these people, what are the Americans going to do? Mm. They seem so deluded about the idea of their right to bear arms that they just can't take action. I think it's a fairly decent argument. The whole self-defense thing and the ubiquity mm. yeah, of guns should be effectively lessened. Right? Well, the problem I think is in the United States now mm. is there are so many guns. How would you ever get them out of circulation? I think that is an argu- that is a legitimate argument to me as well. It's like well, it's not even an argument. What we're stating is when there are so many guns, and there have been so many guns for so long, and that the laws are okay. You know, you have to do some paperwork, obviously, but relative to a place like Australia, with relatively restrictive firearms laws, mm. that mean you have to do training, you have to behave. You have to store them properly. You have to use them properly or they can all be taken away. And we don't let anyone have things that look like assault rifles. And no one's allowed to have a bump stock that makes a semi-auto into a full auto. The Americans are just at a point where the weapons flooding the United States for decades, Mm. even if you could get a turnaround. So when I started thinking about this and I watched the few videos by these gun reviewers saying, you know, they are responsible, their community needs to be responsible for using their weapons effectively to stop active shooters. I thought, actually, as much as I don't like that as an answer, nothing else is working. Yeah. The reality is, if you want your guns, train to use them effectively. Train to have it there more than for a sense of a security blanket train to actually drop an active shooter Mm. so if you want it fine but you go and train to be able to take people out and i was thinking historically you look back to the period after the u.s civil war first period where revolvers are affordable and everywhere in the united states and gun violence on the frontier is fairly extreme Mm. what got gun violence under control was motivated people who would take you out if you broke the law. (laughs) 
So violence was controlled by people who were sheriffs and who were more violent. Or bounty hunters. Yeah, (laughs) bounty hunters, Wyatt Earp. Let's be blunt, the sheriffs in that period did not look nice community policing type chaps. No. They were hard-boiled gunslingers. Mm. So historically, America doesn't tame itself by taking responsibility for removing weapons. The weapons Mm. are always there. But things tend to get calmer when someone takes up their weapon and takes you out. Yeah, yeah. And that's a really weird thing to get your head around. And I thought, well, in a half hour here, I found these videos about shooters need to take responsibility for taking out perpetrators of violent crime to, hey, honestly, with the sheer number of weapons loose, with the Americans' commitment to the Second Amendment, with the political inability and unwillingness to do anything, actually training to deal with an active shooter, maybe it's the only option. Yeah, I guess so. But like, it's. It, I really it, don't like that. No, no, it, it and it paints a, a a very dystopian picture of uh, of an American society where it, it's almost like like not vigilante justice, but it is at a point now where other people are having to take gun related violent action to keep the society in check. Well, the thing I was thinking too is, the average police officer gets firearms training, but yeah. that's not why they join. No. They joined to look after their community. Yeah. And sort of here in Australia, after the Lint siege, most police forces in Australia had direct action training, mm. you know, active shooter training, whereas instead of initial patrol officers just containing a situation and waiting for specialists, they were trained to go weapon up and take out the perpetrator. Yeah. And most of the police officers I've talked to who did that training didn't like it don't like that's what they now have to do and it's not that they won't do it yeah but that's not why they wanted to be a police officer Mm. they're willing to learn to use the weapon the ones i've spoken to as a last resort they don't want it to be oh there's been a gunshot i have to run at it weapon up and drop the shooter i think that's a good point is that their responsibilities are so broad that you can't expect them to be to serve in and this pr- way and protect yeah in, it's a in, different thing yeah. serving and protecting are different and this is why police forces have tactical units yes yeah this is why there's a difference between police officers and special operations soldiers yeah. and why in something like the lint siege here in australia i wish the new south wales government had had the brains to recognize its police force were out of their depth and to call in two commando who are full-blown assaulters with years of experience of going through doors head first weapon up Mm, mm. I know who I'd much rather have gone in after a shooter. Yeah. To serve is one thing, but there's protect at different levels. We want to be protected from the moron who drives home drunk. Yeah. But we don't want police officers with a little bit of firearms training and a refresher every year to be responsible to have to run at an active shooter. So what does this mean in America for policing? How is this going to affect who wants to be a police officer? And the way police officers yeah. are trained. So in the case of Dave Grossman, I love his early work on killing. It explains so much important stuff about how actually doing harm to other people for the majority of us is very difficult. You know, Grossman makes the point, 2% of males are sociopaths, 1% of females are sociopaths. That 3% is about it that find it easy to do harm to other humans. Everyone else has to be traumatized into it or learn from experience how to do it or be trained to do it. Mm. Now, Grossman in the new world they're in is pushing this hard-boiled form of training 
for police officers where they're permanently ready to go weapon up. Is that the way we want all policing done? Do we want police officers in the US to be the person you run to for help or the person that looks like a you know an intimidating paramilitary? It's a really good question. It, but I think this lends itself to an argument that has kind of circulated, which is that teachers, teachers should carry firearms so that they can drop whatever school yeah. kid that comes in. And but like again, and I've seen some. You know, I found a couple of uh, little videos about programs to train teachers, mm. and I'm like, you in three days think you've turned a teacher into someone able at close range in their classroom mm. to drop a shooter? Mm. Dream on. Especially when it's a student, someone that they... Uh, possibly will, will, know. Yeah. A possibly, kid. yep, uh, develop an emotional kind of relationship with, like, you know. Yeah. What a wonderful path to trauma. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, listeners, we don't really have any answers today other than we both felt we wanted to talk about it a little bit. Mm. And, you know, we're going to have a guest on soon because, you know, the one constant with these shootings is it's consistently a young white male who's angry at the world, doesn't want to be a part of society anymore and wants all of us to pay for their loss of privilege, status and position. Mm. And that's something we're going to talk about in a separate episode. So, you know, do not fear. It's not that we're not thinking about it now. But young white males losing their privilege and being angry and problematic and antisocial and asocial is a whole issue in itself. And that's an issue throughout the entire developed world. The gun issue is very much a specific American issue. Mm. And I suppose to you know, extend this quickly, the one thing I suppose I still want to add is the other thing I was thinking about is okay, at the moment there is a knife crime epidemic in the UK. Mm. Young males particularly are knifing each other at rates never seen before. We are not in the modern era. If we had good historical data, I'm sure in the 16th, 17th century, this level of violence was probably normal as we were far <laughs> more violent then. Mm. But now it's abnormal. Mm. And, you know, the Brits have even had these serious conversations about banning any knife with a sharp point. And I'm thinking, stop once again confusing the tool with the behaviour. Mm. And there's been cases where British teens have knifed each other with paint scrapers. Yep. So at the end of the day, yes, semi-automatic weapons, get them out of the community. But kitchen knives should all have round tips? <laughs> So Terrible. somewhere in this, yeah. there has to be a discussion about where is society at and what is society going to do to change it. And the terrible point I got to thinking about America is they're not going to change the amount of guns, so the only thing they can change is their level of preparation to confront yeah. active shooters, and that made me very uncomfortable. It's it's so difficult. I think there is a problem with every answer that you could possibly give it. it it's exactly just as you explained it. It's like you don't necessarily you don't want to conflate the tool or the, or the instrument and and what that person chooses to to do with it because you know that tool has utility in in plenty of other areas like yeah. that, as as certain guns do assault rifles probably not so much for the average person or at all really. No, I'm happy to make the argument. Just no. Yep, for that, the public I agree. that there is absolutely. And even if it looks the same and it's semi-automatic, yep. just no. Yeah, everything you could possibly get done with a gun, you can do without any that. Of that. Yeah, without that. But th you also don't want to just leave it then. And then, and then when you know it's a mental health problem, whatever it is, they're addressing it as like mental stability. A major social mm. issue, 
And that major social issue is the one we will talk about later. And that is young white males losing privilege, losing status, losing purpose and going, I'll feel better if I hurt you lot. That's unacceptable. Also, all they're doing to prevent this is background checks. And that isn't going to stop anyone if it's their first time to commit a, a, no. a violent act. And, and most you... of these people, it seems to be that, yes, there's social media, mm. but this is their first act. Yeah. Okay, listeners, if you're thinking about computer gaming and the role it plays, because that's the other thing that, of course, comes in, is it that these shooters do better because of computer gaming? And do computer games prime them mm. for violence? The evidence is becoming quite you know, solid now that computer gaming will not increase your desire to do violence to other humans, but it will up your operant conditioning to use the weapon more effectively. So the game won't make someone more violent, but it will make them more effective. And that might be something if we can get an expert on gaming and you know, the right psychiatrist or psychologist could be a really good episode. Because, again, it's like the nature versus nurture. You know, it's actually nature via nurture. Yeah. This is very much the same. Gaming is not a problem, but gaming ups operant conditioning. And if you are a problem, it ups your operant conditioning. Mm. Well, certainly lots to think about there. And, and, and again, the, the answer really isn't clear. And I think what you've presented seems to be the most pragmatic solution. It's just sad that that's It's just the case. really awful. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll definitely pigeonhole, come back to it. Hopefully that's thought-provoking for our listeners and perhaps gives them some, even if it's a bit dim, some light at the end of the tunnel like there is actually a solution or at least if we have a debate with people about this yeah put all the cards on the table because all we well all i've really said is to me the card that kept coming to the top of the deck Mm. is the americans aren't going to give up guns therefore people need the training to take out an active shooter Mm. and that was a very yucky card but it's a card that should be on the table Mm -hmm. because if even the gun owners in america are talking about it That's a pretty interesting state of affairs. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, David. Thank you, Tim. Bye, listeners. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the OzCast Network. Peace out. Peace out.